Morning. Y'all too? Morning. You know, there's a lot of people that you've been praying for this week, I'm sure, because we've got a lot of people to pray for. And this morning, I was watching uh, on a Facebook at, at, at Lori Hollingsworth's dad. It's not Hollingsworth anymore, but that's what I remember. And trying to find the updates on her. And the top of her page said, um, and you've probably all seen it, but the top of her page says, it doesn't matter how long you've been traveling down the wrong road, it's not too late to turn around. You know, this is a great place for a U-turn this morning. A great place. So, and this is a great time. So I'd like for everybody to stand. We're going to do Victory in Jesus 120.
seated for just a moment. Oh, that's right. Good morning. There you go. I like that. Hey, if you're visiting with us today uh, for the first time, we're thrilled that you're with us today. And in front of you, there should be in the pew a connect card that looks something like this. Or maybe you were given one when you came in. We ask that you would fill that out, please, and then put that in the offering plate so that we can know who you are. If you're not a first-time visitor, but you consider yourself a visitor, shame on you, because you're not a visitor. First time you're a visitor, after that you belong here. Amen? Amen? And we hope that you feel that way. We hope that you feel comfortable and satisfied being in Eastwood Baptist Church. We're going to take a moment. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we're going to greet one another. Father, we thank you for this day and uh, your care over us. Father, as we come to worship, calm our hearts. Give us purpose and reason for being here, and that is to listen and to hear from you. You're an awesome God, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and greet one another. Ushers, if you would come, we'll take our morning offering. If our ushers would come at this time, we'll go ahead and take our morning offering. Isn't it a joy to worship? 
That was a question. Isn't it a joy to worship? And we do that in a lot of different ways. We sing, we pray, we fellowship, and we give. I heard a fellow say one time, give until it hurts. No, I don't want to do that. It never hurts to give. It's a good thing to give. It's an opportunity to give back after he has given so much to us. One of the best ways we can worship is to give. Give of our offering. Give of ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we worship you today, we pray that you would receive this offering as a form of worship. Father, that we give to you out of our love for you, not out of expectation of anything from you, but Father, as simply a way of saying back to you how much we care, how much we love. Receive our offering. Bless it. Bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.
my faith There will always be the mountains And valleys in our way But right here in this moment May our strength be renewed As we recall what God has done And how we've seen Him move
everybody else join them. Come on up, stand on up. Whether you stood that time or whether you kept seated, you felt it. So why don't we sing together? been asked to gather together specially to pray today for Mrs. Frances Moody, uh, Kathy Atkinson, Brother Hollingsworth, uh, Mrs. Annette, and I wonder if there's someone else on your heart you just want to mention their name. Let's start over here. Just mention their name. Pray for who? All right, who else? Yes, ma'am. Pat. Pat. Who else? Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Anyone else? All right, thank you. Over here. Yes, ma'am. Yes. 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 Amen. God bless you in the back. All right. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Would you just bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we've come to worship you today, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we bless you for this privilege in this free land just to call upon you. How thankful we are for those in the past who have been faithful in giving tithes and offerings and built this beautiful place of worship. We thank you for their memory. For those present today, Lord Jesus, we thank you. But Father, we look ahead at what you're going to do here in the days ahead. As you designate the man you would have to be the pastor of this church, wherever he is, with his wife today and his family, we pray especially. Oh, dear God, lead this church in the right way. You said... 
I have set before you the path of life. Oh, dear God, guide the pulpit committee in that direction. Lord Jesus, for those who are wandering today, trying to find just what you want to do with them, oh, dear Lord, may today your spirit speak to their hearts, turn their eyes towards Jesus, and, oh, Holy Spirit of God, speak to their hearts and bring them to you. Pray for those, our Father, who need to join in this fellowship, who need to make a commitment, not enough to sit back and wait or hope or pray. That's wonderful, but, oh, God, let us put our lives where our prayers are and our wills where our hopes are. God bless this service now, and may you be glorified. We pray for these especially who are ill. And for those, our Father, who are troubled, those who would be here today if they could, now just bless us as we come before you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and thank you for coming. This has been a difficult week for my wife and myself. She's still struggling with uh, uh, a deep bronchitis. She doesn't sleep well at night, so neither do I. Um, <laughs> Then I got up this morning and I thought, oh, it's going so wonderful, Lord. I'm just ready to preach. And lo and behold, my nose started bleeding. <laughs> it's just an old man thing, but it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Uh, you know, the, the, the truth of life is that all of us are human and we're here before God both in your wonderful blessings and strengths, also with our sicknesses and our needs. So let us come before him today. I'd like to begin this morning by telling you a little incident that happened in the post office the other day, the day after the debate that was on television. Two men were behind me. They were talking so loud I could hear them without my hearing aids. In fact, I do not wear hearing aids. My, uh, be, my uh, dermatologist, who is an Indian lady, uh, asked, well, those are beautiful hearing aids. I can't even see them. I said, lady, I don't have hearing aids. Uh, and she was quite surprised. But I could hear those two gentlemen talking. One of them said, well, what would you think of the debate last night? And the other gentleman said, well, it looks like to me everybody's tried to outpromise the other. I never heard such promises. The other gentleman turned to him and said, yeah, it ain't an issue of promises. The question is, who can do it? Who can do it? As I thought there, I thought of the wonderful text in the book of Acts, chapter 2. And we just finished last, Wednesday, uh, last Sunday night the glorious uh, story of Simon Peter and the disciples in the book of Acts and how they stood for the Lord together and how they were united and how on the day of Pentecost Simon Peter preached. Oh, by the way, tonight I'm going to be preaching on the subject, the tax collector and the terrorist. Bring your Bibles and come. You may be surprised at just who that, those men were that Jesus called. We'll talk about that tonight. 
But as I thought about it, I thought of this wonderful text in the book of Acts chapter 2. I'm getting a little vibration on this. I'm not sure just what it is. Is it too close? Help me. Thank you. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 36. This is sort of the conclusion of Peter's sermon. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when the people heard this, they were pierced to their hearts. The Holy Spirit convicted them. That's what it means. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what must we do? And Peter said to them, Repent every and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for those who are far off on the other parts of the world, in the Caribbean and in Africa, in Europe, in Asia, in South America, those that are far off, as many as our Lord shall call unto himself. For the promise is to you. As I thought about this, the Holy Spirit just brought to my mind again the wonderful, wonderful promises of God. In my library, there's a book by Herbert Lockyer entitled All of the Promises of God. And uh, Brother Lockyer reminds us that in the King James Version of the Bible, there are 31,173 verses. Someone has said every verse is a promise from God. Amen, amen, and amen. In the New Old Testament, there are 23,000 words plus. In the New Testament, right at 8,000 words. And so, when we look at the Bible, where are the promises of God and what do they say? What have they said through the ages? And what do they say to you today? Simon Peter says, the promise of God is to you. The promise and the promises. Brother Storm, a great Bible scholar many years ago, a Canadian man, who read the Bible through more than 40 times. His wife said more than 25 times he read the Bible through on his knees. And Brother Storm said the great thing that blessed his heart as he read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation was how often God made promise. And not only made promise, but he kept his promise. He calculated there were 7,487 direct promises from God to his people. Not only to Israel, but to his people today and his people tomorrow. And not only those who are 
still unsaved. But to you, God has made wonderful, precious promises, says Peter in 1 Peter. The promises of God. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and he said to the world, God has made a wonderful promise to you. And he goes back to the book of Joel, chapter 2, and I'm sure your pastors in the past have read and preached on Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. It is, in fact, quoted by Simon Peter here, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out forth my Spirit upon all mankind, not just Jews, not just Americans, but on all mankind. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and upon my bondservants, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my Spirit, and they will prophesy, they will tell forth the glory of God and His salvation. And I will grant miracles, word. I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. And the sun shall turn to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord. And it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's where you say, Amen. Say it loudly. Amen. And it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. That's the promise. That's the glorious promise of God. It's an ancient promise. Studying the Old Testament and teaching it for many years, one of the most surprising things that appears in the Old Testament is that God makes promises and He fulfills them. It isn't enough to promise in an election. The question is, who can do it? And The Old Testament is the story of the God who not only makes promises, but the God who fulfills them. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is God's great wonderful, premier, proto-evangel, the proto-gospel, when God says to evil, to Satan, that he will send the seed of the woman, and that seed of the woman will stamp upon the head of evil and sin and destroy it. Much of the world, especially in the Middle East, labors under a tragic, tragic misunderstanding. They see both good and evil in the world. In fact, in many parts of the world, in the Middle East, they say there are two gods. In fact, in Bosnia-Herzegovina, brought up by Islam from the Arabian desert, is the belief that God had two sons. The good son is the son of light, Jesus, and the bad son is the devil. 
And those two are battling in the world, good and evil. And humanity is like a ping pong ball, slapped by one and hit by the other, trying to outdo one another. That's how they look at the world. And they say, we don't know how it's going to end. Oh, they haven't heard God's wonderful promise. This is the promise we speak to the Muslims. This is a promise we say to the Middle East. This is the promise that God reminds the Jews. He will send Messiah. Meshach will come. And on the day of Pentecost, Simon Peter stood to say, He has come. And God has made him the one who died on the cross and rose again, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Oh, God made a wonderful promise. He made a promise to Israel. They were in Egypt. And God called Moses at the burning bush and said, Moses, Musa, Musa, Moses, Moses. I have heard their cries, this people. And they have prayed to me. And I have come down to deliver them. When old Moses took that message to the children of Israel, they laughed at him. Who in the world are you with a message like that, with a promise like that? We are slow slaves in Egypt. No one can deliver us from the power of the Egyptians. But God did. And they went out in the full moon of night after the Passover into the freedom and joy of a new life under God. And that's what you've experienced. God made a promise to them. God fulfilled the promise. And throughout the Old Testament, again and again, especially in the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah, God says to the gods of the world, the images that men worship and people bow down to, You have no eyes to see. You have no ears to hear. You have no voice to speak. You're a dumb idol. Do something, either good or bad. He taunts evil. For you see, He is the God who does do good. He made promises. And the tragedy with modern Israel today is they have forgotten the promise of God. They think of themselves as saving themselves. But I want to tell you, dear friends, God has made a promise. It's an ancient promise, and He fulfilled it when Jesus came, for God has made Him Lord in Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. It's an ancient promise. It's also an authentic promise. That's what the two men were talking about, waiting in line at the, at the post office. We hear promises from politicians, but the question is, Who's going to pay for it? Promises, promises. I want to tell you, dear friends, the tragedy with life is 
that as human beings, we ain't good at keeping promises. Daddy's promise he's going to come home, take the little boy to the ball game or go to the soccer game with him or basketball. Daddy gets too busy. Oh, Daddy, be careful about the broken promises. Mama says, we're going to stay together. We're going to fight through this. The first thing you know, one of them's walked out. And you're alone with the children. We are not good at keeping promises. A number of years ago, this really slapped me in the face. And I'll tell you the little incident. I was uh, pastoring a church, and I had made a promise that I was going to, to do something, literally go visit somebody, very honestly, and I had put it off and put it off and put it off, and there were other things that were more busy, and I was trying to do them all, and I just could not seem to get around to fulfilling that promise that I had made. And I picked up an article, and the article said, broken promises. But there was a slash mark in between B-R-O slash K-E-N. It's sort of like a West Texas dust storm. It'll hit you in a minute. Broken promises. Brother Ken. Lord have mercy, Kenny. God talks to you, doesn't he? Huh? God talks to you. The best thing you can do for your babies and your children is to be there for them. Don't break your promise to your wife. Don't break your promise to your husband. Don't break your promise to your family. You can be poor, but you can be true. The promises of God are amen and amen. They're ancient, but they're authentic. And I believe that God wants us to be authentic people of our promises. Some of you made a promise when you joined the church you was going to be regular. Sunday night doesn't give much indication of it, frankly. Some of you have been dealing for a long time with tithing and y'all talked about it. You made a promise but you have to pay the bills first, I guess. What about the faith promises? Are they simply broken promises? God wants his people to hear that he is the God of the authentic promise. And he wants us to be authentic. And I believe that's what worship is. 
Some preachers promise more than they can provide. When we come into a service, oh, dear friends, we bow before God. Oh, Lord, you promised to meet us here today. God fulfills his promise. He's here. And God says, I will pour out my spirit. Oh, God, let it be today. Well, we've got a revival coming up next month. But, oh, God, let it be today. Let it be authentic to hear today. God makes promises. He honors his promises. I was visiting somebody the other day, yesterday, two days ago. And they had Steve McQueen. What's a story? What's this? What's a pro- cowboy picture that Steve McQueen plays in? What is the name of it? Help me. Huh? No, the one on the cowboy one on television. Well, it was going on, and I saw Steve McQueen. And uh, many of you may have heard that Steve McQueen was dying with cancer a few years ago, and his son had been going to the Bel Air Presbyterian Church in Los Angeles. His son had a wonderful conversion experience, and he went to talk to his daddy. They had been separated for a long, long time. And he kept telling his daddy if he would just turn to Jesus. And Steve McQueen said, you know, I've just lived such a terrible life. You wouldn't believe what I've had to do to be the success that I am. Finally, his son said, well, Daddy, uh, an evangelist is coming to, through California on his way out to Singapore. Billy Graham's coming through, and he's going to speak at our church. If I brought him here to the hospital, would you let him talk to you a few moments? Steve McQueen finally said, yeah, bring him. And Billy Graham came into in the room and knelt by the bed of Steve McQueen, the movie star, the cowboy star. And told him about Jesus. Steve McQueen said, Mr. Graham, you don't understand who I am and what I've done. How can God possibly forgive my sins? And Billy Graham said, God said, I will. God said, though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as wool. Though they be red as crimson as camiri, they will be as wool. How can I believe that? Steve McQueen asked Billy Graham. And Billy Graham quoted Titus 1-2, in which Paul said to Titus, Titus, God is the God who cannot, will not lie. God won't lie to you. You may be struggling with your salvation. You know, I've come to Christ as humbly as I know how. I don't have the feeling. Dear friends, our salvation is not based on feeling. It's based on the fact that Christ died for your sins and offers you salvation that if you will humbly, honestly ask Him, God will authenticate it. He is the God who cannot lie. He is the God who will not lie to you. Promises, promises, for the promise is to you and your children. 
and to those afar off. I, I love that. It's underlined here in my New American Standard Bible. You ask, why in the world do you use that one? Well, I've got King James too, but in translating it from a couple of different languages, we always felt, found that this one translated a little easier. And I have this verse underlined here. For this is a gospel for those who are near and a gospel for those who are far. It is not only an ancient promise and an authentic promise from God. It's an appropriate promise. It's exactly what we need. I stood before a great Buddhist statue in Yangon, Rangoon, Thai, uh, Bangkok, uh, Rangoon, Burma. And I looked up at that huge stature with so many other tourists standing around. And I asked one of the holy men there, what, what is that, what is his face saying? Is it a smile? Is it a question that Buddha is asking? Is it doubt that I see playing on his lips? What is this face of Buddha saying to you? He says it doesn't say anything. It's made of gold. It doesn't have a tongue. Oh, dear friends, God has a voice. In the beginning, God said. God talks. He talks your language, not some ethereal language of heaven, not classical Hebrew or Cornier Greek. God talks to you in your language whether it's Cajun or just Southern English, God speaks to you and tells you, I have an appropriate promise for you. And that promise is, let every one of you repent. God says the most appropriate thing you can do before God is to tell God honestly who you are. That's what Steve McQueen did. He said, I'm a sinner. You don't understand. You don't know. No, I don't know about you. I don't know your past. Neither do you know mine. But dear friends, God knows. And God sees. And you can sweep those skeletons in the closet and walk away and say, well, I, that was another part of my life. But many of us need to get on our faces before God and repent of our sins. And you can say, well, I love Jesus and I, I love to sing. But dear friends, God asks you to come the right way, the authentic way, the way of which he has promised the blessing. Let every one of you repent, says Simon Peter. Repentance is the most natural thing in the world.
And we've talked about repentance. What does it mean? One of the most beautiful pictures is the Old Testament picture. And that is that you're walking down a road and you simply shove, you, you turn. That isn't the right way. I know where this road is leading. God tells me where it's leading. And you better believe God. He's not going to lie to you. There is a judgment. There is a judgment. Believe it or not, someone is standing at the end of the road of life. And you and I are going to face him. But he says, you can turn. You can turn off this road to destruction. You can turn off the road to hell. You can shove. You can turn. Now we say, well, repentance means you're going down a road and you do a 180. Yes, but dear friends, most of us have a hard time doing that full 180. It takes years. And repentance isn't simply something that happens as you kneel at the cross to receive Christ. But repentance is something we pray every day. Forgive us our sins. Forgive me my sins. God meets our needs and says to us that we need to repent. It's the most natural thing. God meets us with what we need. And that is to bring us to our knees. He also meets us with his appropriate working in our hearts. Jesus said to Nicodemus, when Nicodemus asked, well now, how in the world is this going to happen? You know, here I am, an old man. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been. You don't know what I believe. Jesus said, listen, when the Spirit of God speaks to your heart, it is like a breeze. Now the Spirit is not a wind, and the wind is not the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is like a breeze. It moves in upon you. You're aware that God is speaking to you. You're aware that Christ died for you. You fall on your knees before God and say, Oh, God, save me for Jesus' sake. At that moment, God works the miracle of the new birth. Well, I can't see it happening. You know, how, how, how born again, go into my mother's womb and come, oh, Jesus said, Oh, come on, come on, come on. I've talked to you about earthly things. You see, we are born physically out of our mother's womb. The strange, wonderful, awful thing called the conception of life. It's an unseen miracle in the womb. It's a gift from God. And the new birth that God gives to you and me is an unseen miracle in your heart, worked by the Holy Spirit. That's what he means, I will pour out the Spirit upon you. The Spirit will work in your heart. 
to cleanse your heart and forgive your sins and transform you from the old person that you were to the new person in Christ Jesus. Who's going to do that for me, preacher? It doesn't come from the preacher's hand or the evangelist's hand. It is a miracle of God. It's exactly what we need. Stephen Hawking's that brilliant physicist, astrophysicist who died not long ago said, you know, I, I've heard people talk about the new birth, but I cannot possibly imagine it. We cannot imagine it, dear friends, because it's a holy work of God in the human heart. God can change the heart. He changed mine. Did he change yours? That's why you say amen. Amen. Give a testimony. Has God changed your heart? God's salvation is not only ancient and authentic, but it's appropriate. It's what you need. A woman said not long ago, Lord, I'll tell you what he needs. He needs a new heart. Talking about her husband who had walked away. You see, she was talking about spiritual things, although she was not a Christian. And when we experience that new birth, Peter says, now confess it with baptism. When God works the regenerating work in your heart, confess it with your mouth. And next Sunday we're going to have a baptism and you'll see it. This is the picture. The water doesn't save you. The formula of the pastor doesn't save you. It is the blood of Christ that saves us. Oh, how appropriate. How wonderful. But this must be accepted. It must be accepted. Whosoever will believe will be saved. In Acts 2.47, it says that those, please look, please underline this verse. I'm sorry, it's uh, verse 46. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. And the Lord was adding to the church daily those that were being saved. They gladly received the word, is what Peter is saying here. They gladly received it. Not compulsion. Not force, not some psychological trick, but is God speaking to your heart right now? Is God saying, you need to bow before me and confess your need of Christ? Are you willing to say, Jesus, this is who I am. You know my background. You know my sins. You know all that is hidden 
For the darkness is as day to to you. That's what the scripture says. He knows the shadows. Years ago as a boy, you remember the old radio program? Only the shadow knows. What darkness lurks in the hearts of man. There's a sermon in there. God knows. It isn't the shadows. It's the Savior who knows. Hallelujah. Just a moment, we're going to sing. Miss Melissa's going to sing with Brother Tidwell playing. I'm going to ask you to stand very quietly. Would you do that, please? And as they sing this invitational hymn, we invite you right now, if you'd like to publicly Say, Christ has spoken to my heart. The Holy Spirit is working within me. Pastor, pray for me. We'll hear. We will do that. If you need to kneel here at the altar, please come. We'll pray with you. If you'd like to move your letter into the fellowship of this church, we invite you to come right now. Please. Gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art seated for just a moment, please. Uh, Just before we have the announcements, Brother J.W.'s come. We need just a brief church meeting, church count uh, conference. Yes, dear brother. And after that, Brother Lee will make the announcements and give the benediction. Please, dear brother. God bless you, please. If you recall, two or three weeks ago, we had a couple of young men join our church, and we said that Brother Lee would be talking to them, and he has, so we'd like to now, Brother uh, Thomas Smith, who is back in the nursery, he's worked with our security team, and James Mercer, and 
Do we, we need a motion that we receive them as members of Eastwood Baptist Church. Do I hear a motion? And a second. We got a motion and a second on the floor that we received Brother James Mercer and Thomas Smith. All in favor, signify by saying aye. aye. Any opposed? And we know there's not any. So we welcome these two young men into our church. Brother Thomas will be, be baptized next Sunday morning. And of course, Thomas is, or James is coming to us from a letter from Shady Grove Baptist Church. So with that, I'll turn it over to Brother Lee. A couple of, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of announcements in the, uh, in the bulletin that are taking place this week. It says that grades four, five, and six are going to be locked up and it'll cost $5 to get them out. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I, I misread that. Grades four, five, and six, there will be a lock-in, and it'll cost $5 to get them in. Well, that's, I'm glad I read that right. <coughs> Community Bible uh, group uh, starting Saturday evening, and if you're interested in uh, being part of that, see Tori uh, about that. Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock. Tonight, 6 o'clock. We hope that you're here for... Uh, for all of those services. You know, the neat thing about family is that we get to say things that uh, we don't say to other folks. Listen to something that was sent to you. It said, we want to thank the church for everything that they have done during this difficult time for our family. We appreciate the phone calls, the texts, the cards, the visits, the food, and the meal after the funeral. We don't know what we, listen to this, we don't know what we would have done without our church family. We love you so much, the family of Charles Sullivan. Thank you on behalf of the family. Thank you, church, for being there for them. How desperately they needed you. Thank you. Stand with me, please, and we'll have a benediction. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 Father, we thank you for this day. Father, for all that you said to us. Father, those words that we heard with our ears and <clears throat> those words we heard with our heart. Father, we're reluctant to promise because we know so many times we can't keep those promises. But Father, we're not reluctant in coming to you because you keep your promises. Thank you, Father, for that. Help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.